Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. If you have a Bible, go with me real quick to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus is where we're going to begin. This is Missions March, and uh, our byline again is the With God Life. I thought it would be appropriate for us to make sure we're on the same page going into this series. And what do you mean on the same page going into this series? When we think of the Bible, we've got to realize there is actually a missional basis of the Bible, not just a biblical basis of mission. Meaning the mission pre-existed the text. The text didn't pre-exist the mission. There is a clear missional basis of the Bible, not just a biblical basis of mission. One of my favorite missiologists, if you call him this, his name is Christopher Wright. He defines mission this way. I think you'll like it. He says God's mission is God's engagement with God's world through God's people for God's purpose. I like that. Mission is God's engagement with God's world through God's people for God's purpose. What is the purpose of God? The redemption of all of God's creation. Not just humans, everything God intends to redeem and reconcile to Himself. And the Bible is very clear that when Jesus, after He had died, resurrected, spent 40 days on the earth preaching the gospel of the king, or the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, the scripture says, He ascended before he levitates and ascends back to the right end of the Father. He's on the mountain of olives and he says to his disciples, Acts 1 and 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. He did not say you'll receive power and you will receive power to witness. He said you'll receive power and you will be my witnesses. Come on, follow along with me. Not power to witness, but power. He said you'll receive power and be my witnesses. In Jerusalem... Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You say, what does it mean to be on mission with God? Well, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus gave us the great commission. Co, the priest said the part of that, the pretext part of that word, co means to cooperate with. If you're cooperating with someone, you're operating with. If you have a commission, you're not in a mission by yourself. The one who gave you the mission is pledging to cooperate with you in that mission. So the fact that it is a co-mission means that God is joining us or inviting us to join Him, I should say, in the great mission He's given us. That's called the Great Commission. Now in the Western world, we idolize the Great Commission, but we disobey it often. Meaning we like to worship it, but we don't like to live it. What does it mean to be on mission with God. I want to make sure from the outset of this mission uh, this mission march series that you understand the point of the series is not for us as a church to bounce back from what has happened the last few years. The burden God gave us with this series today is for us to go further than we've ever been and to be stronger than we've ever been previously. And I know today I'm setting the bar high. I know it. I realize I want to set the bar very high for our church for this season. And the goal of this series is for you to be healthier and to be stronger in all areas of your life that you might be an effective witness to His resurrection. You might embody a different reality. That's the goal. Now this weekend is really what I just call a a setup. 
And next week, Pastor Chad will continue. In two weeks, I'll come back and I'm going to share specifically a, never, a message I've never shared how to specifically evangelize the lost, how to engage in gospel conversations. But today, I just want to set us up. This series is about being in the with God life. Today, I want to read lots of Bible. And maybe you're saying, why are we reading so much scripture? Well, here's the why. Because our faith right now needs to go to another level. We as a church must, in this season, increase in our faith. And increase in our faith significantly. And what does the Bible say about Romans, about faith in Romans 10? Faith comes by hearing by the Word of God. When we delve and engage the Word more, God will author faith in our hearts. So I'm going to go through one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. The journey of the people of God out of Egypt into the Promised Land. I've entitled this message today, Journeying with God. Now let me set this up. I, in my time as a Christian, have heard a lot of sermons with, that have a similar intent of, of this message. But I want to tell you something from the outside. I'm not going to spend one iota, one second today, even mentioning or talking about the promised land. Now lots of people, when they say, oh, I'm journeying with God, they immediately like to know. Well, where does the journey lead, Pastor Craig? Well, here's my answer. I have no idea. Can I really be honest with you about the future of what God's going to do with our church and our church planning movement? What is our journey going to lead? I have no idea. But let me tell you something. I do know God is saying to our church right now, I, I know this enough to hear God. I, I, I promise you this. I, I can hear God enough to know that He's communicating to us that there is a journey that is coming and it is a big one. And I think that so many of us are possibly distracted from the difficult things that we have been enduring that we're possibly missing the moment we have to be preparing for the journey of a lifetime that's coming. So today, I refuse to pull the lever, though it would be easy, the lever of the promised land to motivate you to do what already needs to be done as a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to talk about the promised land. What I'm going to talk about today is what it means to journey with God. I want to call our church to a measure of preparation, and I want to call our church to a measure of movement like never before. Now hear me, preparation for a big journey is not easy. Hard journeys require hard preparation. So we're going to spend this month of March preparing. People say, well, where are we going? Listen, I as a church don't care where we're, where we're going. As long as he's leading, I'm good. As long as the Lord is the chief shepherd over the under shepherds, I'm good. I'm all in. Jesus Christ is a leader. I simply follow the leader. I learned that a long time ago. Did anybody play that in kindergarten? Follow the leader? I learned that. How do you follow the leader? Our burden, listen, is to strengthen this church, our church to be strengthened so we have the ability to withstand, not just bounce back. So let me give you a few points about what it means for you and I to journey with God. Number one, we've got to talk about the challenges of journeying with God. Let's talk about the challenges of journeying with God. I'm going to give you three things that are a challenge when you journey with God. Number one, opposition. The first thing you hit when you say yes to journeying with God is opposition. Exodus chapter 14, I want you to see verse 10. Israel has left Egypt. Two million Israelites, okay, take 24 Mercedes-Benz full of people. And they're now walking into the wilderness. And they have the Red Sea in front of them. And the Egyptians have changed their mind. And Pharaoh has said, go get them. Bring them back as slaves. And now they're caught between 
the Red Sea and the pursuing Egyptian army. Let's read the text, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them, and they cried out to the Lord. They feel trapped with the Red Sea in front of them, the Egyptians behind them, the Israelites wig out because the Egyptians are overtaking them. Question. Were the Egyptians actually overtaking them? Did the Egyptians actually even touch them? No. No. Did you hear the language? They were just getting closer and closer and closer. And when you see the opposition and your opposition on the journey you're on, when it seems in proximity to get closer and closer, there is a fear that sets in. Because, listen, we see the opposition coming. But you and I must understand, next slide, listen, one of Satan's favorite things to do is to attack what God anoints. This is a hobby of Satan. He attacks whatever God puts his hand on. If your journey with God, you don't expect to have opposition, here's what will happen. When the opposition comes, you will be tempted to run away from it. And let me just say from the day we live in right now, and I think it's true of all Christian history, but I know it's true of our day. Let me say something. The path forward is never the path of least resistance. I don't like it. I wish it would change. But the path forward in God's purpose is always the path with the most resistance. It's always the path with the greatest opposition. That's in part how God gets more glory. If it were easy, they would say it was because of us. Look at me, church. If your path to God's promise was easy, it would look like you could pull it off. And God is not interested in the world around you acting like you can pull off anything for His kingdom. And so your path is going to be littered with opposition. It comes with the territory. There will always be opposition. We're seeing it right now in our church. We're seeing it right now in our nation. But listen, next slide. Opposition is always the ultimate compliment. Because Satan only opposes what scares him. People say, I ain't bumping into Satan. I'm like, well, that's bad news because you're walking in the same direction. The only time you're not bumping into Satan is when you're next shoulder to shoulder going the same direction. But if you turn and begin to journey with God, the first opposition you're going to, you're going to face is Satan and his demons. So instead of wigging out, we should honestly, you should walk around in your house a bit like a peacock, right? Like showing your feathers, right? He wouldn't be picking on you if he wasn't afraid of you. Now let me make it clear. It's not you He's afraid of. It's Christ in you that he's afraid of. It's not you that he's afraid of. It's the God of the universe who's standing behind you who looks down at your enemy like a grasshopper that is afraid of you. This is the reality of journeying with God. Listen, demonic opposition is simply a setup for divine showing of power. For God to show up with strength, with wisdom. Now I want you to hear me, church. Any notion of mission... In this world, you've got to be willing to make a confession. Here's the confession. God moves first. Long before we act, God has already acted. Long before we speak, God has already spoken. You ready? Long before we arrive, God has already been present. It is biblically impossible for you to take God to anybody. He's with them and inviting you to journey there. You don't take God to the ends of the globe. God's already at the ends of the globe waiting for His people to move on mission with Him. He is moving long before we're there. He's touching hearts long before we gain the boldness to open our mouth and speak truth to that heart. 
We must understand God moves first. Do you think we're going to experience opposition when we're fighting for the souls of men? Yeah. The first thing you do the challenge of a God journey is opposition. Here's number two. Fear. Second opposition of journeying with God is fear. Next slide. Faith and fear cannot live in the same heart because one will always destroy the other. They can't coexist. Faith and fear won't make it together. The two are always at odds. So I have to decide. You have to decide, will I live by faith or will I live by fear? Church, why do you think the Bible says perfect love cast out fear? Now, that word cast out is really strong. It's the word exercise, which we get exercise demons, means to abolish them. Why is that language so strong? Why? Listen, fear angers God because it causes us to cower rather than stand confidently with God on our side. And look what Exodus chapter 14, verse 11 and 12 says. Verse 10 says that they cried out to God because they see the Egyptians overtaking them. Now look at this. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt, Moses? Is this not the word that we told you before we left? Let us alone. I want to stay in slavery. We want to serve the Egyptians. For if it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians, then we should die in the wilderness. Do you realize what they're saying right now? God freed them through ten plagues, and because they're afraid, they're looking back at slavery and calling it riches. Can I just tell you something this morning? Next slide. Fear is winning when the predictable hell of my past seems safer than the unpredictable path to God's promise for my future. I know fear has totally disoriented my life and vision when the predictable past of my slavery seems safer and more comfortable than the unpredictable future God's calling me and my family to. That's how I know that fear has gripped me. That's how I know that fear has a stronghold stronghold on me. The way forward will be scary from time to time, church. Why? Because any path you've never traveled... You don't know where it leads. You have no idea what's around the bend. That's why it's so scary. But here's what I've learned, and I want to help somebody today. Faith increases when we focus on God. Fear increases when we focus on the path. That'll help you. Listen, when you're being led in a new path, it's very, if you're like me and analytical, you want to start looking at the path. And you try to start figuring out the path. You will, when you put your eyes on the path, grow in fear. When you put your eyes on the one who's down the path a little bit, the one who is in front of you as your leader, you will grow in faith. There will be a lot of unpredictable, y'all, in the body of Christ right now in the West over this next decade or so. There's going to be a lot of unpredictable. I'm going to go ahead and say to our church, there is a lot of unpredictable coming up in the next season. So if you're a person who you need everything to be nice and predictable to feel strong in your faith, you might as well just never end up leaving your house again. That's not the world we're in right now, folks. It's faith or fear, and it's our choice. Listen, I want to say it again. I know it sounds so simple, but to be on mission in Jesus' name means I constantly recognize that God has been active long before I arrive. I know it sounds so simple to say, but to follow Jesus means that He always gets there first. If you're following Jesus, He's there first. If you're going into a dark room, he's already in the dark room. 
If he's leading you to a new people, he's already at the new people. The very, the very statement of the follower of Jesus means he's leading. Means he's first. He's the forerunner. Listen to me. Next slide. Satan scares us where we are because he's scared of what will happen when we get to where God is taking us. So what does he do? He unleashes the all-out assault on your present, on your now. Why? Because he knows where God's taking you. So now becomes the perfect time to scare you. I've told you my story. I'm not going to go in great detail. But I lived almost two years of my life in great fear, in great anxiety. Part of it, yeah, it was an injury. Part of it, yeah, it was medication. But part of it was I believed a lie that Satan whispered to me one day. And that was this. If you say yes to God, Craig, what I did to Job will pale in comparison to what I do to you. And I believe that lie. Satan will scare you now because he's afraid of where God is taking you then. So we have opposition, we have fear. Here's the third thing that's a challenge of journeying with God. You might not like this one. Hard things. God asks people to do hard things. Difficult things. Listen to a quote by Phillips Brooks. This is what he said. He said, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks that are equal to your powers. Pray for power that would be equal to your task. And many of us are hoping that God will do the lion's share of the work. Well, let's go back to our Exodus account, verse 15 of chapter 14. Look what happens. I love this. Exodus 14, verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, you know, he's right there at the Red Sea. God says, Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Y'all, this might be my favorite one-liner of the message. You ready? Mankind is waiting for a move of God while God is waiting for man to move. We're waiting on God and a move of God when God's already moved and asked us to move. Ask us to keep moving. To keep, keep on mission with Him. Listen, God says to Moses, enough crying about the situation. Tell the people to get moving. I want to tell you as your pastor, I'm saying it in the most loving way possible, but let me tell you one of my burdens right now for our church and what I'm feeling in this series. There is enough crying about what's going on around us. There is enough crying about how the world's changed. There is enough crying about situations outside our control. It is time for us to get moving. It is t this is our moment in the body of Christ. There is pain everywhere, folks. I can't talk to one person in this community. I will talk to them for 60 seconds and notice them and look at the eyes, and they're crying within 60 seconds. There is pain everywhere. There is the unknown everywhere. There is hurting everywhere. There is suffering everywhere. It is time for the body of Christ to get moving. It is not time for us to hedge our bets and say, oh, we'll just hunker down and survive. It is time for us filled with the Spirit of God, with the Word of God, the very Word that created the cosmos to flow off of our lips and for us to embody what it means to be a witness in our time. This is our time. Are we not born into the kingdom for such a time as this? Watch this next part he says in verse 16. So powerful. Pick up your staff, Moses. Raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water, Moses, so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Can you imagine if God told you to walk up to a big body of water and divide it? 
Y'all, we read this text like, oh yeah, no big deal. God asked him to divide the Red Sea. Okay, put yourself in his shoes. You got two million people that are arguing. You don't have any megaphones or any AVL options whatsoever to speak to him. You have no speakers, nothing. You got two million people following you. They're already saying that they're being overtaken and they're not even touched yet. And then God tells you, the leader, walk up to the edge of that water and lift your staff. Could you imagine Moses? How crazy would that have looked? How insane would that have felt? Listen to me, we must understand one of the hardest things we're all going to be asked to do in this next season of our lives is to step out in faith in ways we never have before. It may look crazy to you. It may feel crazy to you. Journeying with God always does. Some of you, I'm challenging you right now as a, as a pastor in this church, over the next few weeks as we enter into spring and to summer, I want to challenge you to do something maybe you've never done. I want you to reach out to your neighbors and I want you to start opening up your home, your table, with a gift of hospitality to your neighbors and getting to know them in a deeper way than waving at them when they're mowing the yard. I didn't say invite them to a connect group first. I said invite them into your house first. Get outside your normal nine to five predictable routine and find ways to be hospitable to invite people in the gift of hospitality. Some of you, I'm challenging you in the next few weeks, you've been sowing seed it's time for us to, to make good on that seed. I want you to have the boldness to go to your coworker and with the clear gospel presentation, declare God's love for them as demonstrated in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Do it. Just engage them with the gospel. Craig, I, I don't know if I can do that. Well, dear God, he, he gave his life for us on the cross. People are so hurting. What in the world are we doing? Open our mouths, our lives, and declare the gospel to people. Whatever it takes, if it feels crazy scary, to step out in faith and be a witness. To be empowered by the Spirit of God to be a witness. Listen, I get you've taken some licks. I have too. We've taken some licks over the last few years. But instead of licking our wounds, God has given us by His grace a time to prepare for the journey that God is calling us to. And He's going to ask you to do some hard things. Welcome to the club. That's part of following after Jesus. I don't know if anything's harder than taking you, you know, this huge leap of faith that looks like this, lifting a staff over the Red Sea. Listen. Next slide, God's people were created to, to do impossibly hard things because in doing so, the God of the impossible gets all the glory. So take it as a compliment when God asks you to do something impossible. He said to Moses, do something impossible. Go divide the waters, Moses. Do you know what he's really saying to Moses? Moses, do you trust me? You know what he's saying to Peter when he says, come? Hey, Peter, do you trust me? Is your faith in your comfort, Craig? Or is it in your creator? And conversely, if I don't, listen, next slide. If you don't embrace hard things, by default, you will always look for the easy way out. You'll look for the path of least resistance. If you don't look square in the face what God's asked you to do, embrace it. Embrace it. I think there's an attack on the next generation. Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but I want to make it clear. I think there's an attack on the next generation, specifically in this area. It's almost weekly I hear this from somebody. 
I'm talking about the next generation being two after me. So you got the millennials, then Gen Zs, now Gen Alpha. Listen, there is a lack of ability or desire for that generation to do hard things. And one of the things we're teaching our kids, listen, Notch, you're 12. Listen, Marla, you're 9. Harper, you're 5. You want to be head and shoulders above your peers? You want to be head and shoulders above the competition around you? You'd be more willing to do hard things than them. Be from the outset willing to embrace hard... It's part of our job, y'all, as parents to raise up our kids in strength so that when difficulties come, they are ready for those difficulties. I'm not talking about raising our kids in our own strength. I'm talking about even for our young people, put God's plan in front of them and say, listen, it's not going to be easy. And you're not going to be championed. And everybody around you is going to love what you're being called to do. But listen, God is worth it. And the calling of God on your life is worth it. And you can process your emotions with me. And it's okay for you to embrace some hard things. But listen, folks, we're not raising kids to survive this world. We're raising kids to thrive in this world. We're raising kids and God's asking of us to raise up kids who permeate our culture with the Christ-like thinking, presence, and behavior, and speech, that God would use us for such a time as this. Hard things, listen, aren't nearly as hard when you're walking in step with the one who has all power. But hard things are a part of the journey. Now, that's the challenges of a God journey. Let me talk to you about the benefits of journeying with God. Some of you said that was hard. That was the bad news. Well, let me tell you something. If you follow God, or let me say it this way, if you walk with the good news, the bad news is always a setup for the best news. So let me show you some benefits of being in mission with God. You ready? Here's the first one, His presence. That's the first benefit of being on mission with God. I know some of you are inclined to take that light and say, oh, no big deal. Well, look at Exodus 13, verse 17 and 18. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory because he knew, even though that was the shortest route to the PL, promised land, God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and go back to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. All right, two thoughts on this passage right here. How many of us, number one, have learned that God is the God of the long way. Come on, show your hand. How many? He is never the God of the short way. Ever. There's no short paths in Him. He's the God of the roundabout. Why does He never take the shortcut? Because the longer the journey, the more opportunity for the miraculous. And one of the reasons we can say, God, wherever you go, I want to go. God, wherever you're leading us, I want to go. He takes the long way. The second thing about that passage, look at that last verse, verse 18. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Y'all, how is it possible that a group of slaves, I don't think of strong people, slaves, two million leaving Egypt look like an army ready for battle? Here's the answer. Because God was the one leading them. That's why they look like an army. 
liberated slaves become an army when the presence of God leads them. And just like he led them through the wilderness with pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, if you're a born-again son or daughter, a born-again piece of God's property in this room right now, let me tell you, he's with you too. He will never leave you, no, not never leave you nor forsake you. They look like an army because the captain of the Lord's army was leading them wherever they were going. Listen, there's only one leader and only one God, one, only one guide on a God journey, and that's God Himself. That's not me, that's not you. We need in our day spirit led people, not just strategists. We need people who will prove their sonship, daughtership by being led by the Spirit of God, as Romans 8 said. We need people who are able to look ahead and say, God, wherever you lead, I'm willing to follow. I want to be led of your Spirit. Listen, my job is not to make sure this church knows where we're going and knows exactly what every little inlet and every part of the journey is going to look like. My job is to make sure we don't get off His path wherever He's leading. That we are faithful to I want our addiction to become His presence in this season. I want us to become so hungry and so addicted to the presence of God, hearing the voice of God, and following after God. That's the first benefit of a journey with God. Here's the second benefit of a journey with God. His protection. His protection. Go back to Exodus 14. Look what happens in verse 19 and 20. Then the angel of God who had been leading them moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud that was in the front went behind him. The cloud settled between the Egyptians and the Israelite camps. And as darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all night. Why? Because God wouldn't let them. Y'all, it makes sense that when the Israelites are sleeping, laying on your back, you're most vulnerable. Who's going to attack you? When are they going to attack you? They're going to attack you when you're laying down. But why didn't they? Here's the answer. Because they weren't allowed to. They weren't allowed to. God protected them. One of the benefits of journeying with God is His protection. Why is the church walking around like we are completely unprotected? We've had to deal with fear in my household just like you had to deal with fear in your household. And especially with our kids at times, whether it be nightmares or something they're facing. And I have turned to this passage, Psalm 121, a hundred times. I've not only read it to my kids, my family, I've read it to you. Many of you I've read this passage to. If you're in this room right now and you're experiencing fear, particularly gripping fear, I want you to listen to God's word to you. This is Psalm 121, verse 1 through 8. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? No. My help comes from who? From the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you won't go to sleep. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers, never sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. If I've told my kids that once, I've told them a thousand. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord himself is responsible for watching over over you. I'm going to say it again until it seeps in. When you're in the midst of fear, when you're in the midst of a path where you don't know your left from your right, I'm going to tell you the Lord himself watches over you. He with his own eyes, the Lord stands beside you. He said as a protective shade, the sun won't harm you by day, the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and he watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and as you go both now 
and forevermore. I want you to get it in your spirit today. The Lord Himself watches over me. Why don't you tell yourself that at nighttime when you're trying to go to bed and you're being battled. The Lord Himself watches over me. The Lord Himself watches over me. We had a ministry moment in growth phases this past Wednesday night where a young lady in our church is dealing with all kinds of demonic oppression via anxiety and PTSD and the trauma of her past. And she had enough boldness to reach out for our whole class. We spent 50 minutes before I even got into teaching, everybody wrapping her up and speaking the Word of God over her. And she hadn't slept in weeks. She texted me the next morning and said, I slept for the first time all night long last night. Let me tell you something. The Lord Himself watches over you. You don't listen to no demon in hell that's lying and saying that you're forgotten or you're forsaken or God had to know your GPS. The Lord Himself watches over you. You're journeying with God. You have the promise of the protection of Almighty God. There was a great missionary named John G. Patton who literally went to the New Hebrides Islands in the 1800s. I've told you this story before. But one night, he and his wife were in his hut, his mission center, and the hostiles surrounded his mission headquarters, and they were intent on burning him out. They wanted to kill him and his, his place. Well, John Patton and his wife get down, and they pray all night long in this totally terror-filled night that God would deliver them. Well, daylight comes, and they're amazed to see that unaccountably, the attackers had left. Well, they thank God for delivering them. They think, okay, that was awesome. Then they kind of forget about it. A year later, the chief of the tribe is converted to Jesus Christ. And Mr. Patton comes to him, remember what had happened. And he said to the tribe leader, he said, what in the world, why, what kept you guys from burning down the house and killing us? And the chief said to his surprise, his very words, who were all those men you had there with you that night? And the missionary answered, well, well, there were no men there, just my wife and I. And he said, we saw men standing guard over a hundred of them in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. I'm here to tell you, friends, I'm here to... When you surrender, I'm not saying it for all, but when you surrender to God, He will protect the outcome of your obedience. He will arrange heaven and hell if it means Him honoring your obedience to His call. He will protect the outcome of whatever your obedience to what His Spirit is telling you to do. He will pledge the promise of His protection. He will keep you in the midnight hour. The Lord Himself watches over you. You read Psalm 121 over your life. What would it change if you actually believed that? And here's what I think God is doing with His bride, the church. I think we would go into darker places than we even go right now because we have no fear what will be done to us. God's with us. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He literally held back the Egyptians while his boys and girls slept at night. His protection. Here's another benefit of his journey. His provision. His provision. Exodus 12, 35, look what the text says. It says that the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed, and they asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. I've, I've, I make a confession to you. I've never really paid attention, honestly, to this verse. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked. Y'all, this is right after the 10th plague, the death, of the, 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 the death angel. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. The Israelites were the Egyptian slaves. And now the Egyptians are giving the Israelites whatever they want. Now, interestingly enough, later on, when they're ready to build the tabernacle, that's called the tent of meeting or the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness. Guess what happens? The children of Israel give 2,000 pounds in gold, 7,000 pounds in silver, 
and 3,000 pounds in bronze. Where did they get all that from? The Egyptians. God's so good that when he delivers you, he then makes your enemy pay for your deliverance. He, he literally makes your enemy pay for the future he's calling you to. I, I've never seen that before. You don't get, you get gold out in the desert of Moab. They left Egypt and they had thousands of pounds of gold and silver to make the tabernacle because they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. I won't belabor this story, but I will tell you, when Meredith and I made the decision to join Pastor Chad and, pa- and, and Michelle here in Woodstock to relaunch and to be a part of Dwelling Place Church and Dwelling Place Church planning movement, we knew God had asked us to do it, and so in January we approached our pastor and we said we will, we will stay through May, but we want to make the transition good and we don't want to spring it on you. And yet at the same time, we want to make sure our kids, our teenagers are taken care of. We get the right next person. And so I had been told because I'd been given about, and I know there's a lot of people that are listening to this message, so I'm not saying this as any slight towards that context. If you're listening, I'm saying this as a reality to the story of how God called us. And we had poured out our life for five years in the next gen. In fact, I was probably on staff one of the most favorable positions at the staff at that time. And I had heard from our staff that when people go and raise money for church planning, the church is very generous. For instance, there was a girl from South Bend, Indiana that came on a Sunday night. She had never even been to our church. And she stood up in the service and said, I'm planning a church. And they, they stood up in the, in the, the service and they literally gave $70,000 to a woman they didn't know. So I'm thinking, man, we're pretty good. We've poured out our life for these people, their kids, everything. And it comes time for us to make our plea, to share with the congregation. And it went from like five minutes on a Sunday morning down to like a minute and a half, and I had to get up there and share. And so then I shared and gave the opportunity for the church, about 2,000 people to give. And so then I wait a few days and go to the church treasurer. And we're thinking, okay, what is God? You know, we poured out our hearts here. And my wife had to put me on dynamite watch so I didn't blow up the church for the next few days because... I walked into the treasurer and like 1502 $1,502 was given. Less than a dollar per person. Yeah. So then, my assistant Tony, I think at the time, and Sarah was on our team, went to the pastor behind my back and said, can we take up a separate offering with the college young adults and the middle school and high school students, high school students that Pastor Craig pastors, said absolutely. They put it before the teenagers. They put it before the young adults on one night. We're not talking about preparing them. And they gave over $5,000 as middle school, high school, college students. And it was there and then the Lord spoke to me and said, Craig, not only have I called you to reach the next generation, I'm going to fund it through the next generation as well. That was it. Where God leads, God provides. If it's God's vision, it's his provision. Y'all, if God asks you for something, he will always pay his bill. He won't ask you to pay it. If he gives you an entree to eat and orders for you, he's good to pay his bill. The other side of that is that when we walk on our own path, he gives the bill to us. You take care of your own bill. When you walk with God, wherever he leads, he provides. He provides. Now, it may not be to the extent that you and I expect, right? But the scripture's clear. God didn't allow holes in the kids' shoes in the wilderness. 
He provided manna every morning. Now, it wasn't a Waffle House buffet. Come on, thank you, Jesus. Okay? It wasn't a Waffle House breakfast, but it was enough to sustain them for the journey. I want to say something, church. Look at me. I believe we are going to see in our lives and in our families and in our churches some moments of miraculous provision in this church. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about at the right moment, at the right time kind of provision, that these will be stories we can tell our kids, and these are stories we can tell our grandkids. But listen to me, listen to me. These moments that are miraculous are always set up by challenging difficulties. They're always set up. Here's another benefit of journeying with God, His voice. Isn't that a benefit? The voice of God. Look at Exodus 19 and verse 9. The text says, and the Lord said to Moses, I'll come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people can hear me when I speak with you, and then they're going to trust you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Now, one of the bummers about this is that when God came to speak to Moses, he, he lit the mountain on fire, it quaked, and so the people were like, whoop, nope, we're good. You go talk to God. We'll hang down here. You come tell us what he says. And that's what they tell Moses. You, you be our spokesperson. We'll hang out down in the valley. Okay? One of my biggest prayers in our day is that the bride would become committed to the voice of God like never before. That we would be committed to hearing His voice. Listen to me. Next slide. One of the biggest advantages for the people of God is the voice of God. That God pledges to speak to us. Y'all, it's like cheating on a test. Could you imagine going back through high school and college with a bona fide genius next to you in every class and just whispering to you all the answers? That, would be, that is the advantage you have journeying with God. You have the one who knows everything about everything, and he's walking with you. You, When you're his child, when you commit to journeying with him, he knows everything about everything, meaning he knows what to do in every situation. Y'all, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Nothing's ever occurred to him. He never woke up and said, Oh, that occurred to me today. He is omniscient. He knows everything about everything. Look what he says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. Your own ears. Everybody say, my own ears. will hear him right behind you. A voice will say, Craig, this is the way you should go. You put your name in there. This is the way you should go, whether to the right or whether to the left. Here's the next benefit of journeying with God, his miracles. Now, this is my favorite one. I'm going to hit a couple, couple of those quickly through these. This is my favorite part because my favorite part about journeying with God is the miraculous moments. Here's the first miracle, what we call a divine path. Look at Exodus 14, 21. This is so powerful. Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind, and the wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. Listen to me. If you're taking notes, write this down. Next slide. God's favorite path for you is where there wasn't one before. God's favorite path to lead his people is a path that you can't see with your natural eyes. Is this not the whole narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation? People don't know what the next step is and what does God do? He carves a path. That's his favorite path for his children. I hope you are not addicted to the predictable because there is a path right now you can't see and it leads to what is next. Here's the second miracle. Dry ground. Craig, you're splitting hairs. 
No, I'm not. Look at Exodus 14.22. The Bible says they walked over on a dry seabed. You can't... What happens when water comes off the bottom of a seabed? The dirt is what? Mud. You can't walk through mud, two million of you, without Israelites that are... I mean, Egyptians that are approaching you. You're going to get stuck. You're going to be up knee-deep in mud. Right? You can't walk... Egyptians could catch up to them. Literally, God blows on the muddy ground and it dries up for them to walk on all night long. How can you tell me God's not concerned about the details of your journey? How can you tell me God's not concerned about the little small details of where he's... Listen, I I have a friend, his name is Isaac Lockman. He just got back from Germany. He married a a girl that was in our youth ministry named Katie House. And uh, I never forget, it hit me last night, it occurred to me last night. So I went back on Facebook, that's why I love Facebook Messenger, and I went back and typed his name, and I went back to all the messages from 2009. And he had just given his heart to Jesus Christ. He was an engineer at Georgia Tech at the time. And God was messing with his heart, doing amazing work in his life, and he had sent me this one big, long deal. He said, Craig, I never could imagine. He said, I realized in the Exodus, when the Red Sea split, he said, God didn't just take the water and create this place for them to walk. He went down to the molecular level. Level, the atomic level of every grain of sand and he stripped it of water because they walked over on dry ground. Let me tell you something, folks. When you realize that this God is a God that's interested in those details, imagine the faith. I wonder if anybody was panicking at the front. Like, ah, it's money! It's money! It's money! And God's like, hold on. Dry ground. Here's the next part of that miracle. Confusion. What? Look at verse 24. The Bible says, But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of cloud, and He threw the forces into total confusion. Now, I know some of us are thinking, Well, God's not the author of confusion. Well, that doesn't mean He doesn't like to use confusion. Let me say it this way. God doesn't confuse His people, just His enemies. He really likes confusing his enemies. He doesn't confuse the people who are submitted to him. He confuses everybody that's in opposition to the people that are submitted to him. And when I journey with God, they are sent into a major confusion. And he throws them in a state of confusion. And now when we look at the church right now, I will admit, I think we're seeing a lot of confusion within the church. You say, Craig, what does that mean? Well, here's what I would say. Confusion for God's people only happens when we abandon God's path. Meaning it's not hard Things are clear if I just follow the path right in front of me. You know where the things don't get clear? It's when I look at somebody else's path that looks a little easier. Oh, I'm going to go. I'm gonna, oh, look at that person. Look at that person. That's where confusion happens. But when I'm walking the path God's called me, God will send confusion. Look at me, church. No matter how organized your enemies are, if you are journeying with God, their next step is total confusion. He's a God. I'm going to show you the final few details of this miracle. I'm going to call this one bent wheels. Bent wheels. Look at verse 25. I love this. He twisted God, twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here. Let's get away from these Israelites. The Egyptians shouted, The Lord! is fighting for them against Egypt. Y'all, now we see God sarcastically toying with the enemy, right? I mean, can you imagine being one of the front charioteers? If it's not a word, I made it. You're a charioteer, and you're approaching the Israelites quickest, right? Because you're being pulled by horses. And you're up front. Woo! 
Y'all, I wonder. You're closing in. I wonder how close God let him get. We know it's close enough to see him. God's like, hey, he's like, and literally, it's like blockbuster movie for God. He's up in heaven, like, watching this play out. And he sees the Egyptian army getting closer and closer. And right when they're about to approach the Israelites, what does he do? Boom, 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 boom. And every single one of their wheels, you know, I mean, I mean, their whole chariots, they're trying to get close to God's people. And he literally destroys and bends every How insane is this passage, y'all? Like, how insane is that? It gets even better, though. I could end with that. But you know what else is involved in this miraculous intervention? Rain. You say, Craig, I don't remember reading rain in Exodus. Nope. It's not in the Exodus account, but it is in Psalm 77 that reinterprets the Exodus account. In Psalm 77, look what happens in the rain. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. Oh my folks. Listen, even when this like this is God walking up to a flat sea and he gets to the edge of the sea and the water's like, Woo, I'm getting out of his way. Hey, listen, y'all, our God is so sovereign, the water gets out of his way. He walks up to the sea and the water, I'm out of your way. You come on right on through, God. You do whatever you want. You imagine how much more confident you should be in God than what you currently are? That our God is faithful to those who journey with Him. And notice what happens. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rubbled into the sky. Well, where's the rain? We know it wasn't up front because they walked over on a dry seabed. Where's the rain? On the Egyptians. <laughs> They're boom, 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 boom. And now the water's coming down on... I mean, mass confusion. Here's the last benefit of journeying with God. You're all. You're all. Exodus 14, 31 says this. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. And they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. I think one of the reasons, church, we're about to go in this journey is because God is ready for the all of his people and children to go up a few notches. And I think it's possible for us to get so comfortable sometimes that he wants the awe and the wonder to return to his people. Listen to me, church. Next slide. One of the biggest evidences that you are on a God journey is that you are more in awe of Him now than when you first started the journey. You're growing in awe. And finally, this is a quick closing point. We've looked at the challenges of a journey. We've looked at the benefits. Now let's talk about the responsibilities of a journeyman. Whoever's playing keys, you can come today. What are the responsibilities of a journeyman? Well, remember the picture in Scripture of the first army Israel faces after Egypt? It wasn't, it wasn't Jericho. It was the Amalekites. The Israelites didn't have to fight the Egyptians. God did that for them. Right? I love the text, by the way. He said he saw their bodies wash up on sore, and the Bible says that Israel never saw the Egyptians again. I love when my God talks about my enemies like that. But they fight the Amalekites. You remember the text in Exodus? The passage where Moses had to have his arms raised up. Aaron and Hur got on either side, and as long as his arms were raised, they prevailed down in the valley. Most of the Exodus account points to that, but Deuteronomy 25 tells us exactly who the Amalekites went after. So the Amalekites go after the Israelites, and here's who they go. Look how dirty this is. Never, God said, never forget what the Amalekites did to you as you came from Egypt. They attacked you when you were exhausted and weary. They struck down those who were straggling behind. They had no fear of God. Now let me ask you a question. What's the biggest responsibility for someone about to go on a journey? Preparation. 
I want to give you two things that we must do in this season to prepare for the journey. First, we've got to lighten the load. Some of us are carrying some things God did not ask us to carry. You say, Craig, why is it important to not carry that which God hasn't asked us to carry? Because there are some things that God wants to bless you with, and you're going to have to carry those, and you can't carry those if you're carrying unneeded weight. So some of you are going to have to rearrange. People tell me all the time, well, I'm just so busy for connect groups. You know what I always say? Then you're too busy. I don't know how else to say it. Cut something out. You need life with people. You need a journey. You need a crew. You got to lighten the load. Whatever it is that I'm holding on to, how can I lighten the load? Here's how you do it. You just do some assessment, folks. The scripture the scripture's called a mirror. The Bible's called a mirror because it helps you assess where you're at and where you need to go. And you can take it as a divine heads up this morning that God wants to help you so you can move on mission with Him and not waste any more months or any more years days. You know how much harder a God-sized journey is when you have an earth-sized limp because you're carrying too much that God's asking you to carry? you got to lighten the load. And then the second part is this. you got to grow in strength. you gotta, you got to exercise. you got to stretch your muscles. Greg, how do I grow some muscle? Pastor Greg, I'm so exhausted. I already have enough on my plate. Well, let me sweetly say this to you. The reason you're exhausted is you don't quite yet have enough strength to carry what God's asking you to carry in this season of your life. And that doesn't mean give up what He's asking you to carry. That means to stretch your muscles and get stronger. If He's the Alpha and Omega and He knows that there are hurdles in the future that I don't currently have the calf muscles to jump, He's going to put some challenges in my present to build my calf muscles. And I've got to do and be faithful to build those muscles, to grow in strength. And here's why you need to grow in strength, y'all. Here's why you must understand. He picked you. He picked you to go on this journey. And experiencing success at the end of the journey starts with what you do at the beginning of the journey. And I want to tell you, if you've not heard anything I've said all day, please hear me when I say this. Why does God want our church to grow in strength? Let me tell you why. Because when people are strong, when they're really strong, they aren't focused on surviving focused on others and we as a church have to get beyond our sanctification sin management lives and become strong to serve others yes sanctification matters yes transformation happens yes it must happen you know we value that but listen the reason why God wants you to be sanctified is because sanctified people are the only ones with enough space to bless others unsanctified people are exhausted when I have strength, Romans 15 says, then I have strength for service, not status. So listen, yeah, there are some challenges, fear, opposition, hard things. There are some benefits, his voice, his place, his protection, his provision, his miracles. And in this season, we can lighten the load. We can grow in strength. I told our team this last Sunday, I feel God's doing something so unique in my heart right now. And I don't know how to really explain it, honestly. I can't really explain it to you. I just know that what he's doing in my heart is not matching up with what I'm seeing in our life and ministry currently. And if the leader Jesus Christ is calling us through his own leaders, I'm telling you, we're entering into a journey. And it might be a little unpredictable, but he 
pledges his promise to us. We started this His Blueprint campaign because of Solomon building the temple. I read something and I wanted to fire in your soul as we close. Listen, this is 1 Kings chapter 8, 18. This is so powerful. Chapter 8, verse 15. Solomon builds the temple and he dedicates it. And watch what he says. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who spoke with his mouth to my father David and with his hand he fulfilled it, saying, Since the day that I brought, this is God speaking, my people out of Egypt, I've, not, I've chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father, Solomon said, David, to build a temple in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Did you catch it? God did not choose the city or the temple. God chose David. You are God's choice. He will then partner with whatever he's put in your heart to do. So many people in the church sit on their hands and waste years asking for God's will. God's already living in you and he's chosen you. A building's not his idea. People are his idea. You are his idea. And when you understand that what God's put in your heart, he wants to partner with you to do, you will set your heart in honor and obedience and God will partner with you to see you and your energies co-labor with him in the gospel. You are his choice. God said, I didn't choose a city. Was was the temple uh, of God's idea here? Whose idea? David's. David's idea. Was the city God's idea? David was God's idea. You are God's idea. What does he put in your heart? Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.